Good evening, everybody. This is Jeff Morton with Returning to Eden. We're glad you're on board. My co-host, Dr. Dina Dye, is in the studio, in the chair, in her living room, wherever she's at, <laughs> and we're going to do the show. Remember, folks, she's in New Mexico, and I'm near Seattle. Hi, D Hi Dina. How are you? Hi, Jeff. I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing great. And I always, uh, you folks don't know this, but we have a young lady who engineers our program for Worship from Word Radio, and she's always sitting in the engineering seat somewhere in California, and her name is Mariah. She's kind of in the background every week that we do the show. So I'd like to welcome you all here tonight, and i got a couple of things to share with you before we get started. Uh, <clears throat> Dina's going to be in Jamaica on, on uh, well, she's April. not going to be here next week. April 4th, yeah. Yeah, April 4th. And so uh, our good friend Ryan, or not Ryan, Daniel McGurr, um, uh, Ancient Covenant Ministries, is going to be joining us. But he's going to be talking about the evil eye. And uh, he, we're going to do a one-hour show. Daniel always brings some really great information. So next week we're going to have Daniel McGurr on the broadcast. He's going to be with me for one hour. And you're not going to want to miss what we're going to talk about because when we talk about the evil eye, we have to put it in its right context. Everything means something else. <laughs> <laughs> over the last 1800 years <clears throat> but anyway Dean is on, uh, doing a series on Israel TV network it's called the gospel and the kingdom of John or the kingdom and the gospel of John yeah. I don't know why I have so much trouble with that and I've been listening and, and going through that series for a while and we want to talk about the parables we want to talk about we're going to start John chapter 3 we're going to kind of open the door for a series that we're going to kind of stay on as we talk about returning to the garden. So, Dr. Dina Dye, uh, you, <clears throat> you know, I've been I've been going back through the Book of John for the last few days now, and uh, man, there's now that I have a different concept of everything, man, there's some glaring things, and I I I was listening to I actually was listening to John on audio today, driving, having read this chapter now a couple of times. And I'm sitting here thinking the whole time, what what is John really talking about? <laughs> yeah. You know, what is he really saying? So I'm going to ask well, you think, to kind um, of... Yeah, one of the important things here, I think, is we have to look at... We, got, we have to look at John in a different way. Like, you know, who is this guy that came on the scene? We know that he's the herald of the kingdom, the royal messenger, if you will, that came to announce the coming kingdom and the king over the kingdom. But I think we have to go back and look at first uh, the story in Luke of his birth. And what's significant there is, of course, we have Zechariah's father, Elizabeth, Elishavah's mother. Um, and uh, they're both of the royal law. I mean, they're priests. You know, we have, right. clearly Zechariah's a priest and uh, Elishavah is the daughter of Aaron. So that there's this priestly thing happening. So now, of course, we have an important connection to the temple. And Zechariah, I'm not going to go into the whole story. You guys can, can read it in Luke. But, of course, Zechariah goes in. Uh, the priests were only, uh, once in their life, would they actually service the altar of incense. So this particular time that it, uh, Zechariah was chosen by lot to service the altar of incense that morning. Of course, he went in, angel appeared, then he was deaf, mute, I mean, he couldn't speak, everyone's waiting for him, where on earth is he? 
but the, the, before he goes in, we we discover that Elisheva is barren. So again, this is communicating to us something barren is associated with being in exile, with ex associated with death, with not producing life. Okay, and then he comes out, and then you know they name him John. And that's another whole significant thing because once somebody is named, they they're bringing something into function. So the, fu the functional aspect of John is that he is, in essence, a new creation because she, Elisheva is no longer barren and life has come forth and he is the first fruit, if you will, of the restoration of the kingdom and he is going to go out and herald the king. And where does he end up doing his ministry? We in talked about this before the shoot. He is sent to the wilderness for his yep. ministry. Now, what was in the wilderness at the time of the Exodus? After the Exodus, the children of Israel, the, in the wilderness we have the tabernacle, the central sanctuary, the place of the presence of God, the new creation model temple. So this is the language that's being communicated about who John is. He is the new creation temple, if you will, in that culture and time. So we're also talking about one of the most important things that we have to understand is the culture and context of the time. This is a very political, it's a hotbed of politics, if you will. So you have, you know, you have the temple elites, this is important. You've got sort of the regular priests trying to function in the midst of that power base. You've got Rome exerting influence. You've got uh, Herod and his sons following. So there is a lot of pressure and these guys, of course, you know, they've, they've risen above the folks. They're, they're accountable to no one. The, the temple is quite corrupt at this time, and yet, and so John doesn't go to the temple. He goes out to the wilderness where that new creation tabernacle, if you will, would be erected. So all of this is coming to bear as we read in, in John 1 and 2. And, of course, what we after the story of the... Um, the heaven and earth joining in the story of the wedding at Cana, Cana, we see that Yeshua responds with this, destroy this temple in three days I'll raise it up. Mm -hmm. And we'll find in scripture that the number three typically has to do with raising up something from out of the grave or from out of the water or from out of the earth, however you want to look at it. Yeah. This is also language of the king. So on the third day of creation, what do we have? We have a sprout coming forth from the earth, being raised up. So hes they're talking about, you know, well, hey, it took 46 years to build this temple, and, you know, here you are. You're going to raise it up in three days, which, of course, at that point it hadn't been destroyed. But, yes, he's going to raise it up in three days. And, of course, it clarifies that he's speaking of the temple, of his temple as being a body, the new creation. So new creation always coming forth if you will, on the third day. So this is all leading us up to John chapter 3. And if we have any hope of understanding John chapter 3, we've got to make sure um, that we understand the first two chapters and what's going on here. So Yeshua has now taken authority as the king over the kingdom of heaven. That kingdom is in absolute opposition to the kingdoms and the power base that's running the show at the time. Uh, did you want to comment on anything? Because I, I, I don't want to take, you know, I want to, I want to breathe. <laughs> okay, well, breathe. Um, the, the the interesting thing that I, I'm seeing, there's so many parallels with John. You know, I was reading, 
And I thought, here John's got a couple of Talmudim with him. He's actually a teacher. He's not in, we've had in Western theology, we've had John the Immerser kind of walking through trails in the woods doing crazy things. Right. And then, and then all of a sudden he's baptizing people. But like you pointed out before the show, and I, I was reading in the, in the information, this all has to do with feasts. Mm-hmm. So, so they're they're all being baptized because what did the Jews have to do before they yeah. could go up to the temple? And so well, we, we see him. About he's, every he's, chapter, yes, is, is going up to the temple for a feast. Right. And, and so what John is doing? Yeah. He's he's doing the role of a priest. Yes. Not just some Out guy where the t- tabernacle yes, is, if exactly. you will. Exactly. Yeah. But anyway, breathe, or are you you got your breath? Because <laughs> this is yeah, interesting, I and I want people to see that. Yes, good. I yeah. I needed to see that because I I got to chapter three a couple of days ago and I went, what what is John really doing? And I today I started seeing him as a priest and not just Jesus's cousin, if you will, quote unquote, right, doing right. something to announce Jesus. He's actually fulfilling the role of a priest, but he's been ostracized by the the elites, literally. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they're actually creating quite a stir. But anyway, go ahead. They Dana. are, uh, and and I don't think we really even realize. So when we were we're talking about this earlier as well, when we come into John chapter three, of course we see uh, this guy named Nicodemus, and he's of the Pharisees, and sort of we look at him as you know a ruling elite, naturally so. However, at that particular time, he really, even though he was a part of the temple elite, he had virtually no power. And that's because uh, you have the Nasi of the Sanhedrin, who was of the school of Hillel, which was the more liberal of the schools of the time, who was basically a figurehead. Um, he could break Thai votes, but he was basically a figurehead. The ruling elites of the temple at the time that we're talking about here are the Sadducees. Right. They are in control. So Nicodemus doesn't really have, you know, the power that we have kind of given him. And so he's almost functioning the same way the folks are. The folks can't, you know, the ruling elite, the temple are oppressing the folks, so they're going out to another tabernacle, if you will, in the wilderness. And you know, to a, a kingdom out there because the kingdom running the show in Jerusalem is oppressing the people. And so we kind of see uh, Nicodemus in a bit of the same way. Uh, uh, clearly, it's more power and influence than the regular people, but regardless, he's on the low end of the totem pole for that that structure. Well, if, if he wasn't, he wouldn't have been there, like I mentioned earlier. Right. But also, yeah. he's he's trying to understand... Why are you guys, <clears throat> what people don't understand is he's trying to understand, why are you guys turning the apple cart upside down? I mean, that's yeah. really what he's trying to figure out. Why are you guys yeah, doing this? Yeshua and John are, they're turning everything upside down by what they're right. doing. And they have separated themselves from the power base. I mean, clearly they are not part of that power base. And they've separated themselves, and it's as though, you know, <laughs> In some weird way, they've kind of started a new religion, you know. Uh, but it's a restoration of the original. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah. what, that's how we translated it. They started a brand new thing instead well, of restoring that which was there. You know, I was reading, and I mentioned before we came on on the air live, 
when I was reading this, you know, when you have a Hebraic lens of the scriptures and you kind of see the context a little differently, quite a bit differently, actually, the bias, when when they use words like, and I don't have any, I've got the book open, but it says, and the Jews did this, and the Jews did that, and the Jews did this. Instead of saying the power elite or the Democrats, they're saying they're lumping everybody into this yeah. lunacy. Yeah, everyone's a Jew and everyone's part of this whole, you know. So they demonize we'll all of the Jews because John's ushering in the church. Yeah. yeah. That's well, so John far is, from the reality. Yeah. And John is far from the reality of the, of the temple right. and Yeshua as well. Now, Yeshua, of course, goes into the power base of these people and upends the apple cart. We see that in John chapter 2. Right. When he, you know, drives out the money changers, John does not do that. John remains out, separated from it. I mean, he is making a statement by doing that. And so, in the same way that the folks, are, you know, the people go wait, up wait to a minute, Jerusalem. Wait a minute. You said he's making a statement. Yeah, elaborate on that thought. Well, by John is not associating himself at all with the temple. He has distanced oh, okay. himself from the temple. And he is showing himself to be a new creation temple in this other environment. So now with the new creation temple, if you will, the mm -hmm. folks are going out there to be immersed in the same way that you would have if you'd gone up to Jerusalem and to go into the temple, you would have been immersed. Now we see John's immersion is described as being an immersion for repentance. Mm -hmm. But it's not like they didn't know what repentance was. Um, you know, they understood well. So this this cleansing outside the political camp, but inside, you know, the camp of God is the the presence. The presence of God, in essence, was not in the second temple because we don't have the Ark of the Covenant. Remember, and it well, talked yeah, about I mean. in Ezekiel how His presence left and moved to the mountain east. Where was the presence of God? in Yeshua out in the wilderness with John. Uh, you know, that's interesting because, I, you know, obviously the Shekinah or Shekinah or however you Jewish people say that word because I can't say it that way. Shekinah. <laughs> uh, was never in the second temple. Right. And, and right. But it was out in the wilderness. Yes. With the new creation. Exactly. That's, that's exactly so interesting. It. And then, I mean, I don't want to jump ahead of you, but John's death has a whole nother meaning now. Exactly. Because we're seeing the temple destroyed in yeah, one yeah. sense. But anyway, that's that's leaping ahead of where we are. And and Yeshua. I mean these two are mono a mono. Mm -hmm. The pattern of these two and you know, I'm probably gonna have to really go into this in two weeks because I'm already running out of time. But the pattern of John and Yeshua is the same pattern we're gonna see of David and Jonathan. Now, there, we're going to go through a story in 1 Samuel 20 because it takes place at the same time, the festival of the new moon, the festival of the born again. That's what's really important about the new moon festival. It's called the festival of the born again. So it, the new moon in the seventh month, which is Rosh Hashanah, that's the new moon in which the king is crowned. And this is the event we're going to have in 1 Samuel uh, 20. We have it here in John as well. It, it, th these two things are going to relate to one another. Now, mm -hmm. 
Jonathan, if you'll recall, who he was the son of King Shaul, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. However, uh, he Jonathan should have been the king. Right. He would have been the heir to the throne, but Jonathan threw his allegiance to David because that was the dynasty that he joined in covenant with, not with his father's house, but with David's house. And this all took place on the new moon, which is what, and I'll, I'll go into it more detail when we get to it. But one of the things, one of the things that ha would happen at the festival of the new moon, the festival of the born again, is that those of the people would seek out a prophet at that particular time. And so we have the fair, uh, Nicodemus is going to Yeshua and seeking out the prophet for instruction at the time of the new moon. That was, that was fairly typical. And it tells us um, that he came at night. And I think that's because uh, I think inserted in this story is the communication that it is a new moon festival. Because the language of born again is, is related to that. Now, today we say born again, we have absolutely no idea what we're talking about. I would say, honestly, that John chapter 3 is probably one of the most convoluted chapters when it comes to the language that modern people have no clue what's going on here. So. The language of born again has multiple layers. I won't be able to get into all them all at night, uh, now, but the festival of the born again had to do with the redemption of Israel. The festival of the born again also spoke of, of water immersion coming up out of the water. It spoke of immersion coming up, uh, uh, resurrection, excuse me, coming up out of the grave. All of these themes were associated with the new moon festival. And it was associated with the coronation of the king. The king being raised up from a lower level, level of sanctity to a higher level of sanctity, becoming king. So you have water immersion, you have resurrection, and you have kingship, all in the context of being born again. And so the born again from, you know, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Good grief. What on earth does that even mean? Unless a man is born again from the spirit and water, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. That is just so abstract and esoteric that it, it can't possibly make sense. So now we have to put it back into its, its culture and context. And so the idea of, of when a king was raised up, it was as though, and I've talked about this before, he would be born to parents like David. King David was born to his earthly parents. Or actually, well, yeah. And, uh, he, you know, he was the eighth in line. His father was Yeshai or Jesse. And when he was raised up to become king, his earthly parents were no longer his parents. Now it was as though he were, was born again from above to heavenly parents. This is common language. Yeshua used it himself. Yeshua used the same language when he was exactly. talking to Mary. Same thing. He was exactly. born to earthly parents. Right. Mary and sort of Joseph, <laughs> but when he was raised up, he no, it, it was as though he no longer had any earthly parents, and his earthly parents had to release him so that he could be raised up to be king. Any set of earthly parents had to do that. They had to let go and let their son become king, and now the, the, the son's father is 
is the previous king, and he is now born again from above. Hmm. And that's, so, a, that's a completely different meaning. A completely different meaning. Right. And so now he, it's interesting because he no longer had earthly parents. Right. He only had heavenly parents, if you will. And we won't get into that in too de much of detail. But this, to me, explains the whole uh, conundrum of Mel Melchizedek, Melchizedek. Mm -hmm. who Hebrews tells us was without genealogy, without mother or father. That It's just simply saying he no longer had earthly parents. He had been raised up, and he, now he was king. Uh, you know, And which king, I, you know, we could guess till the cows come home. But this isn't like some weird thing, <laughs> which is what we've made it. He simply had heavenly parents now. Instead of and, 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 and the culture at hand did not need this explained to them. That That's the I point. I don't that, think so, yeah. No, th no so because this, it would have been preeminent. This is how things yeah. were done. I think this is the reason that we don't see anything about Joseph, the Yeshua's... You that's know, interesting. I've, I've wondered about that. He just exactly. kind of vanished. Exactly. But then this, this would because be a perfect reason why he's yeah, no longer he in the He has released his, his son... To his heavenly, to the son's heavenly father, because he is, he has basically made a declaration. Obviously, it's not in scripture that this my son is king. But the fact that it's not in scriptures kind of qualifies the very thing we're saying here, is because well, they they wouldn't have written sense. about it. They yeah, would have yeah. they would have acknowledged this cultural idiom or whatever it is that, that that's going on that they would have they would have recognized it so it might have even been improper for them to talk about him in that role so I yeah that makes sense to me yeah I mean you know there's a little I mean obviously we've got to insert a little bit here but again so now yeah, the son is raised up he is the heir to the throne and he is the ruler over the kingdom he is now you can see the kingdom of heaven through the eyes, through the through the sun being seated on the throne. You know that you know I, mean? I do, and but as I was listening to the um, to the audio that I chose today, I'm going, okay, this now becomes even more convoluted because in the ancient world these were titles we're talking about, not biological relationships in the sense that we understand it in, in today's world. Yeah. So. That right. language just kind of takes off at that point in time. Yeah. Well, in we the translation. We have um, we have a sign. Well, that's not what I'm talking read. about. What I'm talking about is from John chapter three forward, the language of father, son, all of that stuff is so prevalent. Oh with, yeah. With everything, but it doesn't mean what we think it means. Right. Eighteen hundred years later. Right. And maybe we'll yeah, talk about that in one of these shows. We'll we'll really address that. Yeah, it's the king, father, servant, son, covenant relationship. Yeah, but not to not not to the people sitting in the pews. This oh, is no. the biological son of God. Right, right, right. No, and this is where we get into all kinds of trouble, debate, and argument because we yeah, just don't understand the meaning of this. So, um, in in that environment, they believed that the Messiah, the King, would bring redemption at the new moon. So here we have, you know, the Pharisee 
Nicodemus approaching Yeshua at the time of the new moon in with that understanding that redemption would come to Israel through the Messiah at that time. Chapter 4, the Samaritan woman. All of this is taking place at that very time because she was expecting the Messiah too. Yeah. It's all, the, it was, it's all in the same time frame. And yeah. like I said, well, the, on the next show we'll go more into the, the details between the, the covenant relationship between David and Jonathan. Because the renewal of the of the Davidic dynasty was synonymous with the coming of the Messiah. Mm -hmm. The so renewal of the covenant. Exactly. The renewal. Of, you know, we have this the new covenant. You can get into these nauseating arguments over that word "new," but we're really talking about a renewing or a restoration of what was destroyed, a repairing of the breach across the board. It's everywhere. It's yeah. not something brand new like poof. It's a return, a return. But go ahead, Dina. Yeah, no, so th this will become very significant when we get to the, again, I suggest everyone go back and reread the story of 1 Samuel 20 about David and Jonathan. Remember, David's supposed to sit at the banquet table, and uh, he doesn't show up. His seat is empty, and King Shaul is having a fit. And there's, you know, there's a whole story that goes around that, and it's really... Uh, connects to this particular story. So again, if we are to be a kingdom of priests, then we all must be born again from above. That we yeah. no longer have earthly parents. That our father is our father in heaven. Because our now king. we are kings raised mm -hmm. up, born again from above to heavenly parents. And that's why Yeshua has no problem saying, you know, leave your mother and father, you know, because when you're a kingdom of priests, when you're of that divine, that, that divine realm, you're, you don't have earthly parents anymore, if you will. I mean, so, you do in uh, a physical sense, but... How, how much would it cost me to have you go preach that in a Sunday church? Well, good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't, I don't say that to be, to be rude. It's just that we, if the Father's restoring us back to what he's doing, we have to be willing to go and get out of the conundrums and the concepts that we've kind of created that take us away from the everyday life of the people who wrote this, these, these passages. But anyway, we've got a few minutes left. Uh, we're, uh, we're just at 628 now. How, how are you want to end the show? Because this is... I love this. We're going to stay on this for a while. Yeah, no. So uh, so in John chapter 3, you know, it talks about being born of water and the spirit. Mm -hmm. And so that concept of immersion and that cleansing, um, but it's a real event. I mean, they were immersing in water. You, you know, you couldn't go. T your level of sanctity was restricted unless you immersed in water. So you couldn't. It, when you went to the temple, it was as though you were entering into heaven. So literally, you could not enter into heaven, if you will, if you hadn't been immersed. That mm. was, they would they understood that. That's the purpose of the temple was was a picture of going to heaven. Right. So now you know now of course they're out in the wilderness, you know, as uh, distinguishing there, but they're and they're being immersed. Um, by John, and then it's talking about being immersed in the Spirit, and this is where you know it really gets bizarre because the Spirit of God is His presence, 
And I'm, I'm going to make a statement um, that is a summation, I think, of what uh, uh, N.T. Wright was communicating. So it is that God became a human or became man in Yeshua, Yeshua being the temple. It's not that Yeshua became divine in God. Amen. So now when we talk about the Spirit, the Spirit is the presence of God, and the presence of God moves into a temple. <laughs> like that was normal in the ancient world, right? And so this is the same reality here. The, the presence of God is it will move in. the presence of God was able to move into Yeshua, if you will. And the the presence of God became man and human in Yeshua. So as Yeshua is a picture of the temple, not the other way around. So what do we do? We argue over divinity and humanity. They're not even in the same ballpark. What on earth? <laughs> well, I, I I was expecting a call, and he's never mind. Anyway, I I wanna I wanna just make a caveat here, okay? We're we're not talking about a ghost moving into a human being, right? Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, but we're not we're not talking about that. This is why the Jews are arguing. There's no divinity in the way that you guys are talking about it. He simply moved into the temple because they're the ones who taught us this. Right. Or, or I should say, your 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 ancestors taught us this. Dina, I keep telling people, if you don't, if you think that the Jews didn't get it, then why do you read their material every Sunday? <laughs> it doesn't make sense to me. Okay. So the bottom line is, is uh, uh, Pastor Mark Bills said to me. You just have to see if the if the Lord was the Pacific Ocean. This was his words, and I'm paraphrasing. Okay. He said, and and I took a glass, and I scooped up some of the water from the Pacific Ocean and tied it to a tree. What's in the glass? And I said, well, the Lord. He says, exactly. He's just in a different vessel. And right. that is so hard for people to grab a hold of. Right. Yeah. You know, because yes. they're waiting for this baby. They, they see this baby in diapers growing up as a man, and they don't understand that. I, I had a Jewish guy on the phone. I'm going to take a few minutes here. He says, now do you understand why we can't believe this? And I figured he was a rabbi, but he didn't tell me that. I said, well, you, you're the ones who keep telling us over and over and over again that, that Hashem is unlimited. He created mankind, but he can't be one. Explain that to me. Oh, I gotta go. Thank you very much. Have a nice day. <laughs> I noticed some of the Jewish people they run away when when you. I don't know. I don't get it. But yeah, the whole no, concept it, of him being God, God moving out from his sphere into house a temple, and the temple at this point it's not the temple standing in Jerusalem because it is contaminated and defiled. The temple at this point is the Father moving into Yeshua, the vessel the temple. Amen. we yeah. got to leave it there, Dina. All right. We'll talk more about it. This is good. Boy, I hope people don't run away from us. Oh, they may, but you know what? The, truth, know. Peop the truth will resonate, I, and I, am, I think the more they hear it, the more it will make sense. 
Well, to me, this is like, you know, this this to me, folks, and I say this from the bottom of my heart, this makes the most sense to me. The other stuff does not anymore in the life of Jeff Morton. I'm out of here. I'm heading to Montana tomorrow. Dina, you're going to be in Jamaica next week. So we're going to have Ryan White next week. We're going to no, pick this Daniel up. Daniel McGird. Daniel McGird. Oh, I, I don't know why I keep Daniel. I'm sorry. I know you're probably listening. Ryan. Yeah. Ryan, have a Coke. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'll see you in two weeks. Yeah, see me in two weeks. And I'll be here next week, folks, with Daniel McGurr. But I'm flying off to Montana tomorrow, and I'll be gone through Sunday. So um, God bless you guys. We're returning to Eden. We hope you stay with us, okay? Shalom, shalom. Shalom, bye-bye.